Last week we were in Proverbs chapter 16, and uh, as you turn to Proverbs 4, we're going to continue our series in Life Hacks, and as you turn there, I just want to say thank you to you as a church, thank you for uh, how you have encouraged, um, how you have responded, and allowing uh, our staff to, we've kind of been rotating this summer, allowing them an opportunity to preach as we've gone through this series, Life Hacks. And uh, they've done a great job. I've been encouraged. I love listening to them preach. We are blessed uh, as a church to have uh, guys on staff who are not only want to preach, but are good at preaching, all right? So sometimes you don't get both of those. And uh, so we're blessed with, uh, with guys who love the Word, love to preach the Word. And so I just want to thank you as a church Uh, for allowing them the opportunity to do that, and I know they are encouraged when they get to do that, and I know from the feedback I've got from you that you are encouraged to hear them, and they do a great job, and so I appreciate Nathan. Nathan last week uh, talked about planning. He asked the question, how many of you are planners, and how many of you are the wing-it type of people, and uh, I am definitely a wing-it type of person, all right? So Proverbs chapter 4, typically on a Sunday morning, though, I have planned out what we're going to talk about, all right? So I do want to say thank you uh, also to Marty. Uh, Marty filled in and led the praise team last two weeks, did a great job. And uh, Dave and Don and their family got to have uh, a vacation. I don't know if it was a restful vacation, but they had a vacation. And so I appreciate Marty uh, filling in. So Proverbs chapter 4, we're going to read the entire chapter. And uh, we're going to spend two weeks in Proverbs chapter 4. And both weeks we're really going to, Uh, focus in on verse number 23, but I want to read the entire chapter this morning, and as we uh, read this, remember the first nine chapters of Proverbs are somewhat of an extended conversation between Solomon and his son, and so Solomon is passing wisdom to his son. We can also transfer this understanding of Solomon being a picture uh, of God, uh, the Father, The Son being the picture, not of Jesus Christ, but of us as believers, followers of Jesus Christ. And then, so who is Jesus? Jesus is depicted here in the word wisdom. And so when we pursue wisdom as believers in the New Testament, we are pursuing Jesus. When we want to walk in wisdom, then we are saying we want to walk in Christ. And so let's continue, and we're going to look in at another conversation that Solomon has with his children or a son. Verse 1, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you a good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother. So here he's reflecting back on his childhood. Verse 4, He also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. But what a great challenge for us as, uh, as fathers here this morning. To be reminded, a few weeks ago we talked about uh, premeditated parenting or with this idea of becoming a godly parent. And here we see another example where Solomon is saying, when I was a child, my dad, King David, taught me what I'm now teaching you. What, what a great reminder for us as men, fathers, of a responsibility, an opportunity to teach our children. Verse number seven, wisdom is a principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, 
get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Hear, my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil, and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Verse 20, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and your perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. Wow, a lot of wisdom in this passage, a lot of instruction from a father to a son, and we want to again focus on verse number 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And so, if you see on your, your bullets in there this morning, you have this title Guard Your Heart. Guard Your Heart. So, the, the New King James translates that word keep, the New Living Translation, guard. So, it's really, I think we all get the picture guard or keep or protect or preserve your heart. And so, you know, I learned uh, when I was in college, uh, debate. Well, well, let me back up. I learned debate as a kid uh, when I got in trouble. But I I went to class for it in college, how to debate. And one of the things about debating is that you're supposed to define your terms, right? So if we want to guard our heart, let's take a minute this morning. We're going to walk through this real quickly. I hope you have your bullets now. Get a pen, get your Bible, take some notes because we're going to walk through this really quickly. What, what is the Old Testament, what is the understanding to the Old Testament reader in that Hebrew culture when they would understand or hear the words, guard your heart? What did, what did heart mean? What would they understand heart to mean? So the first one there on your bulletin, it says the heart is hidden. The heart is hidden. All right, so... It has the reference there in 1 Samuel chapter 16. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 16, God had told Samuel that there was going to be a new king. He had forsaken King Saul. Go to the house of Jesse, and in the house of Jesse, the new king, I want you to anoint the new king. And they show up to Jesse's house, and verse 6 talks about they saw Eliab, who was the biggest, the strongest, the oldest, the best looking, kind of describes me and my brother. But when we think about Eli, this must be the one that God wants to be the new king. He's the anointed one. And remember what God told Eli in 1 Samuel 16, verse number 7. What did he say? Anybody know? But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his height or his statue, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Okay, now all of you know the answer. The Lord looks at the what? Hearts. 
And he says here, Samuel, look, the man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Now understand, it's not because man just chooses not to look at the heart. What God is telling Samuel is man cannot look at the hearts. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this, and this, I, I don't know where I read this. It's been a long time ago. This quote that I often quote that says, the number one rule in life is not to fool yourself, and yet you're the easiest person to fool. In other words, I don't even know my own heart. Have you ever tried to, to weigh your motives for why you're going to do something? And let me, you're going to have to think about this for a moment. Can you always trust your motives I can't. Remember David prayed. He said, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And so the reality is, it's not just that Samuel wasn't looking on the heart. Samuel couldn't look on the heart. Who can look at the heart? Who can see the heart? Who can test and judge my motives? Not you. God. The heart is hidden. But it's not hidden from God, is it? And as, as good as that may sound, nobody can judge my heart. Nobody can judge my motives. And the reality is, the one that matters can. God can judge my heart. And so our heart is hidden. Let's continue walking through this. The second one, the heart is the source of all emotions. The heart of all emotions. The heart is the source of all emotion. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart is the spirit is broken. And so it's as the reader would read this, guard your hearts, the hidden part that God can only see. It's the, the source of all my emotions, number three there. The heart is the source of all my thoughts. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. So the heart is a source of all my thoughts. The next one, the heart is a source of all actions. Man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so again, as we think about uh, the Hebrew reader, guard your heart. As we think about uh, the son of Solomon trying to process this, what is, what is dad wanting me to learn? Keep, guard, protect preserve your heart. You know, that hidden part, the, the part of your life that is the source of your emotions, your thoughts, your actions. The last one there, the, the heart is the source of all your desires. Proverbs 6.25, do not lust after a beauty in your heart. It's the, it's the source of our desires, our lust. And then kind of from a different perspective, uh, uh, not from a negative perspective, but from a positive perspective, we see in Scripture the same understanding that our heart is the source of our desires. Psalms 37, 4 says this, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So let's, let's kind of, if you got a pen, I'll encourage you to get your pen, because this is not, in the, is not in the bullets, it's not in your notes. Just kind of this summary statement of what the heart is, if we're going to define it here. So the heart is the inward center of everything that you feel, Think, do, and desire. Everything you feel, think, do, and desire. That's what, what the son of Solomon would understand when his dad says, guard, protect, 
preserve, keep your heart. That which is the source of your feelings, what you think, what you do, and what you desire. All right, so we've kind of defined that, and when we define it, it makes sense. A few weeks ago, we talked about the Shema, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6. Remember what Deuteronomy chapter 6 says? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so what am I loving the God with everything I feel, think, do, and desire? I want to love God with everything I am, with who I am, the heart. So we've quickly defined what the heart is. Let's look at what the problem is. Number two there, if you're taking the notes or writing in, what is the problem of the heart? So Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Listen to that again. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? So let's just step back for a minute and think about this. The heart is the center of everything I feel, think, do, and desire. And the heart is what? Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Does that make you feel good this morning? Are you excited that you showed up to church to hear that, right? At the very center of who you are, what causes you to think, to act, to desire, who you are, Scripture says is what? Wicked. Paul kind of said it in the same way. He said, my righteousness is as filthy rags. And then he uses a little more uh, descriptive word. We'll put it that later. You can look it up. So let's think for a moment. I'm supposed to guard, protect, preserve my heart. What I feel, what I think, what I do, what I desire. But Scripture tells me my heart is wicked. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we'll see a picture of this. I said Matthew, didn't I? Well, I hope you found it, but go to Mark now. My, my notes say Mark. I don't know why I said Matthew. I like Matthew better than Mark, apparently. And as you're turning there, I was reading the chapters like, this has no idea what I want to say here. All right, Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 7. So we're not going to read the first part. Let me just give you the background here, all right? And, and luckily, it's not family worship today. The kids aren't in here today. Because at the very first part of the chapter, uh, this may be something you want to keep from your kids. Uh, because the disciples are going to eat, and they don't wash their hands before they eat. Right? It was back before they had the hand sanitizer there to do that, you know. They didn't wash their hands before they eat. The Pharisees got really angry, wanting Jesus to reprimand them. And it's funny, every time and in every instance that I can recall in Scripture that the Pharisees wanted Jesus to do something, he did the opposite, right? And it's probably a good rule of thought. But he, Jesus wants them to understand something. It's not the outside that determines where you're going. It's what's on the inside. It's not the outside that defiles you. It's the inside. 
And they're worried about their traditions and that they didn't wash their hands and oh my gosh and all this stuff. But look at verse 14, Mark 7. When he had called the multitude himself, he said, and this is Jesus speaking, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that entered as a man from the outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those things are that defile a man. If anyone hears or has ears, let him hear. Verse 17, when he had entered a house away from the crowd of disciples, ask him concerning the parable. I love this because the disciples were, were just normal, dumb people, all right? And so Jesus gives them this parable. They get alone. They're like, Jesus, I have no idea what you're talking about. Could you explain this? And for my benefit, I'm glad he did. Verse 18, so he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated. Okay, another good reason the kids aren't here. Thus purifying all foods. Verse 20, and he said, What comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornicators, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So Jesus is saying what we read about in Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful and wicked. And my heart is the center of what I feel, think, do, and desire. And so at the core of who I am is what? Wickedness. Sin. So why would Solomon tell his son, why would Solomon tell us to guard our hearts? If our our heart is wicked, if it's deceitful, if it's the core of everything bad in us, why should we guard, why should we protect? Should you guard and protect something that has no value? Yes or no? Should you guard something or protect something that has no value? Yes or no? I want to watch a video real quick. I hope I'll illustrate this. Here. Now, when the declaration is on display, okay, it is surrounded by guards and video monitors and little families from Iowa and little kids on their eighth grade field trip. And beneath an inch of bulletproof glass is an army of sensors and heat monitors that will go off if someone gets too close with a high fever. Now, when it's not on display, It is lowered into a four-foot-thick, concrete, steel-plated vault that happens to be equipped with an electronic combination lock and biometric access denial systems. You know, Thomas Edison tried and failed nearly 2,000 times to develop the carbonized cotton thread filament for the incandescent light bulb. Edison. And when asked about it, he said, I didn't fail. I found out 2,000 ways how not to make a light bulb. But you only need to find one way to make it work. All right, so anybody watch that series of movies? All right, it's all completely accurate and true, right? It's real life. It just illustrates the measure that someone would go to to protect something that's valuable. My heart is deceitfully wicked. Why would I be told to guard it and protect it? Do you realize that Jesus never told the Pharisees, not once did he tell the Pharisees to guard their heart? 
If my heart is wicked, why should I guard it? And the reality is, what, what do we say? We've, we've said this every week that I've been up here talking about life hacks, that we think about when Solomon is writing, he's writing to his son. It's a picture of God writing to his children. And so who is Solomon talking to? Who is God talking to? Guard your heart. He's talking to those in the room, if we're going to apply it this morning, those of you in the room this morning who have given your life to Jesus Christ. Which leads us to the third question here on your outline. So if my heart is wicked, is there a fix? Can my heart be fixed? Because the assumption here, the understanding in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 4 is that Solomon is writing to his son or God is writing to his children. And so the assumption is that those who are reading it are those who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And then I would say, is your heart valuable if you've given your life to Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, is it worth guarding and protecting? The answer is Yes, if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, guess what? Your heart is wicked and deceitful. And for the sake of our argument this morning, it's not worth protecting. Ezekiel chapter 36 is an Old Testament picture of salvation. Verse 24 says, looking forward, it says, For I will take you from among, among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. And again, this is a promise to the nation of Israel for a specific time, but it's also looking forward to us. Verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. You will keep my judgments and do them. What a great picture of what God does for us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. The wicked heart is exchanged. The old is dead. New life has begun. Remember when, when Nicodemus came to Jesus in the garden? Most of us know John chapter 3, verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But what's the story that leads up to that? Remember, it's Nicodemus, and he comes to Jesus, and how can I have eternal life? How can I inherit the kingdom? And what did Jesus say in John chapter 3, verse 3? Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new cre creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. I think the words will, uh, the scripture will be on the screen for you if you want to follow along. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 6. For we, we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to the mercy he saved us through the washing, the regeneration, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. What a great picture of what happens when we give our life to Jesus Christ. We are made new. We are given a new heart. Is that new heart worth protecting? Is that new heart worth guarding? Yes or no? Yes. 
So the question that really, and, and before we get into how do we guard our heart, which is going to be the next lesson on life hacks, how do we guard our heart? The, the question that everyone in the room needs to ask themselves before we get into the how-to, the practical, the first question that we all need to wrestle with this morning is, is your heart worth guarding? Is your heart worth guarding? And remember, the heart is hidden. I can't answer that question for you. Remember, Number one rule of life is not to fool yourself, and by the way, you're the easiest person to fool. Jesus never told the Pharisees to guard their heart, but do you think that their heart was worth guarding? Do you think they thought their, their heart was worth guarding? The answer is yes. So before we walk out of here this morning, and, and the easy answer for all of us who've grown up in church and all of you who come in here every Sunday morning, the easy answer is say, oh yes, thank you, my, my heart is worth guarding. How do I guard my heart? And we don't actually wrestle with the question, let me ask it again. Is your heart worth guarding? Let's look at a few verses of Scripture before you answer. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. It'll be on the screen for us this morning. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. So again, Jesus is just lashing out at the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you, do, you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Verse 6, blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, and the outside of them may be also clean. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. What, what a picture he's going to describe for us in this verse. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So how would Jesus put, what, what words would Jesus put that in for us today? Woe to you, faithful church members, And what you need to, to do today, what I'm challenging you to do today, this morning, is not to look on the outside. The outside is, well, I'm here, I'm at church, I'm faithful, I went to Sunday school, I gave my tithe, I gave to missions, I even still give to the building offering, which not very many of you do, and I am faithful. I come to Wednesday night church. That's the outside, isn't it? And that's what we look at, isn't it? That's what you and I look at. Let's read another one, Matthew chapter 7. And, and turn to Matthew chapter 7. If you have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen, but I want you to turn there. I want you to look at it on your Bible if you have it. If you don't have it, it's going to be on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to give you a second to turn there this morning. 
And I've, I've shared my story uh, quite a few times in here before about, uh, usually I, I give you the second half of my, my story, of my salvation story. Usually I, t- I tell you that at the age of 17, I was at Brownwood Youth Camp in Brownwood, Texas. It was actually, I think it's called uh, Heart of Texas Baptist Encampment. It's like the armpit of camps or something, but... What I don't often tell is the backstory. So, at, you, most of you know, I grew up in church. At the age of five, I remember going to the back of the auditorium in our in our kids' church. I remember saying a little prayer in the back room. I remember the next week getting baptized. And what I wrestled with for a long time, especially when I was about fourteen years old, struggled with the idea of do I did I really make that decision a conscious decision because that's what I wanted to do and because that's what God was calling me to do. What, what I wrestled with was this. There was a guy that was sitting next to me that day, and, and uh, the fact that I remember this is, blows my mind because I have a terrible memory. But Tim Harris was sitting next to me, and Tim said, hey, you probably ought to go back and get saved, something like that. So I did. So at the age of 16, I was at Singing Hills Baptist Youth Camp. Anybody been to Singing Hills? Beautiful place, the worst place in the world to ever take a shower, but we'll get besides that. And I was wrestling with that thought. Am I just playing this game of church? If I just wash the outside and I've kind of just fall into line and I do what everything is expected of me, and by this time I was doing everything that was expected of me, I was, you know, the good church kid. And I remember walking from the back to the front and I'd finally made the decision I'm being a fake. I need to give my life to Christ. And I walked to the front as a 16-year-old, about to enter my senior year of high school, and I couldn't do it. I just put a little more washing on the outside. I need to recommit. I can do better. I can do better this year than I did last year. I did, I, I, the truth is, when I walked down, the guy asked me, it was a counselor at the church that time, and he asked me, are you here to recommit your life to Christ? I had to make a decision when he asked me that question, either just say yes, go on with it, or to say no, I'm not saved. I have a wicked heart. And I said, yeah, that's what I'm here for. So I went home unchanged with a wicked heart. Fast forward the next year, I graduated high school, six days removed from graduation, 17 years old. I had already uh, applied and been accepted to Baptist Bible College. I actually won a preaching contest. I don't know how that happened. Maybe because my dad paid him off. I don't know. Speaking of my dad paying off, he walked in late this morning. And uh, right before he walks in, he texts me and said, Hey, remember two weeks ago I had you 20 bucks to get done early? I got 20 more waiting for you, so... We never defined what early is, so we'll, we'll go with it. So at the age of 17, I finally said, I'm tired of washing the outside. It's here. And I tell you that story, I, trust me, I don't tell it very often because I, 
my goal here this morning is not to manipulate anybody to, do a, to make a decision. But, but in that context, let's read these few verses. Matthew 7, verse 21. And I think this is one of the passages of Scripture that every, every pastor or Sunday school teacher wrestles with. And I, I think you'll understand when we read it. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22 is, is kind of this scary verse. Because the very first word, look on, look on the, the screen up here. The very first word is a scary thought. There's many people in here this morning, isn't there? It says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? My story at age 17 would be, Lord, I've won a preaching contest in your name. I've been a leader in the youth group in your name. And if I would have died before June the 6th, 1991, this would have been me. Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, we can't help but practice lawlessness if we still have a wicked heart. That's who we are. It's the center of everything we feel. It's the center of everything we do. It's the center of everything we say. It's the center of our desires. So my question for you this morning is, not is the outside all put together and clean and look good. But have you ever really given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you ever made that exchange from the old heart, the old life, the old man, to the new heart, the new life, the new man? The only way to do that is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation for your hope of eternity, for the forgiveness of your sins, and to acknowledge to him, I can't be good enough, I can't come to church enough, I can't give enough. So again, the question, is, is your heart really worth guarding? Because the next message on the practical part of how we can guard our heart, it's really of no value to you unless your heart's worth guarding. And let's not assume this morning that because you're here and because you're here every Sunday that, yes, my heart is worth guarding. And this morning you have, you have another choice. Maybe you're like me and you've been wrestling with it for a while. And you have a choice. To leave the same way that you came or to get a new heart. Would you close your eyes this morning? So just because your eyes are closed and your Bible is closed and your head's bowed, don't check out. Here's the time for you to respond. This morning, through God's word, Here's, here's the reality. Here's what God 
really burdened my heart with last night is that there is people right here sitting in these pews who are really good at washing the outside but need Jesus to clean their inside. And can I tell you this morning, if that's you, I want to encourage you to walk down this morning when we stand in a minute and you tell the person at the front here, I need a new heart. You're not going to find judgment. We're going to celebrate with you. You're going to have to humble yourself. I get it. But it's going to be worth it. How many would say, John, I need a new heart. Would you just put your hand up for a moment? Just be honest right now. Put your hand up. John, I need a new heart. Raise your hand. There's a couple of us. Raise your hand. There's four that I see. Just raise your hand again. Keep it up for a moment. I see at least five, probably more. You can put your hands down. In a moment when we stand, it's a time of worship, it's a time of response, I want to challenge you. Whether you raise your hand or you didn't raise your hand, it's time to get a new heart. It's time to give your life to Christ. God, we come before you, and Lord, we are thankful that we have given many opportunities to repent and to turn our life over. Lord, I thank you for the many opportunities you gave me. God, I pray those in here this morning that have raised their hand, or maybe they didn't raise their hand. Lord, I know that there's people right now wrestling at their seat, whether they're going to get up and come forward. God, I pray that you would, would just give them the courage to take that step, to know that it's the best step they could ever take. Lord, we will give you the glory for what you do in their lives. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. Would you stand with me this morning again as Dave begins to sing? Sing with, let's worship together this morning. If God has spoken to you, come forward.